Good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful morning. What a beautiful, hot morning we have. Man, oh man. This is, this, is, this is uncharted waters for some of us. It is for me in some respect. But uh, yeah, we just, we're just so thankful. Thank you for being here this morning. It's so fun to worship in the house again. And it's so fun to invite Holy Spirit into this house and into our homes for those who are listening at home. We just declare God's Holy Spirit to come into your home and bring the peace, love, and joy, the fruit of His Spirit, into your house and upon your house and upon you in Jesus' name. Jesus, it, it's, it's been such an awesome uh, few weeks where Sam's been preaching on the book of James and the book of Titus, Faith That Works. And I'm going to take like, it's almost like a rabbit trail, but we'll call it like a cul-de-sac. We're going to step off the faith that works, but, but in this, is a demonstration of faith that works. It's the joy of heaven coming to the, uh, the, to the Philippian church and how that manifests for them and just the joy that it brings for that church and, and for Paul himself who is who's writing this letter to the church and the people around it. It's, it's an evidence of Holy Spirit that comes into a community that just transforms everything. It's just amazing. But before we get into it, just a couple quick announcements. We're going to shift things a little bit this summer. We're going to be moving into a sermon that's working off of the Right Now Media platform in preparation for community groups that are going to be coming in September, October, where we're going to be gathering in people's homes and we're going to have topics of discussion. So just keep an eye out, keep an ear out for those things as they, as they come and as they're announced because it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun thing. It's going to be like doing what we did a couple of years ago where we had groups gathering here at the church to learn and go deeper. This is what we're going to be doing in our home. So community groups are coming and a demonstration of right now media and what it has to offer is also going to be shown over the summer. And if any of you want to be signed up for Right Now Media, just email the church and they'll get you on that website so you can explore the, the topics of discussion and all the material that's there. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of learning and teaching available there. So let's just let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you. We thank you and we praise you for the declarations that we've had this morning in worshiping you, that you are good, you are holy, you are righteous, and you are... You are above all. You are above everything. There isn't a circumstance that surprises you. You know exactly what's going on here now today in Powell River, in British Columbia, in Canada, in the world. Nothing surprises you. And we ask for your mercy this morning that you would cause a wind to blow over the whole West Coast to cause a weather pattern change. And we just, we just extend your grace and your mercy onto the people who are experiencing hardship in this, in this time, not only here with the heat, but also those who are experiencing flooding because we have unprecedented amounts of snow melting at a rate that we haven't seen before for years and years and years. So we just, we put a, we cause, we just declare cold weather to come to those upper levels to slow down the melting so we can have peace in our homes, peace in our communities, and we, we rebuke the fear that this hot weather has brought, and we just release your peace over Powell River, over British Columbia, and the whole West Coast of North America. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Philippians is such an awesome book. It is literally God's joy showing up in the midst 
of literally darkness. And it's, it's just an amazing testimony to God's goodness. And it's shocking because he doesn't think like we think. He sees, he sees difficulty as opportunity and possibility. And it's just amazing. So as we walk through the, the book of Philippians this morning, just keep in mind that this is, this is something that's unprecedented that's going on. And, and think of it too, like this is what could be a testimony of what Powell River could be. Because what's going on in the book of Philippians in the city of Philippi, it could be just a prophetic word over Powell River. And I believe it is. So starting in chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, and actually I'm starting in verse 1. This, is, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi, who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Notice he says, my God. Not your God, my God. And he's our God. It's a personal thing. It's an intimate thing. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy so that you for you to have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I, I kind of liken that to like fiberglassing. I don't know how many of you have done fiberglassing. I have a boat and I always do a little bit of fiberglassing this time of year. And if you work with fiberglass or even epoxy resin, you can dump it out on the floor, you can dump it out on anything, and it will stay soft forever. Nothing will happen. But as soon as you add the catalyst, it transforms into something hard, something tangible, something that won't shift or change. And the Holy Spirit in us is like that catalyst. Up until then, we're soft and we're pliable and we we don't really take on a solid form, but when the Holy Spirit comes into us, it's like that catalyst that turns us into that rock, like Jesus. We become like him, that we, we're steady, we're steadfast. We have this ability to withdure whatever comes against us, just like a rock will stand opposed to the storms and to the wind and the waves. We too, because of Holy Spirit, that catalyst in us changes us. Carrying on, it says, so it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me a, the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more like living waters and you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. That word grow is also, mature is also used in some of the other translations. We'll keep maturing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand. And that word understand is also discern. And it's discerning what is, what God is doing. Not what the enemy's doing, but discern what God is doing. Understand what really matters so, so we can discern what really, what he wants, what really matters so, and why so that you may be, live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. 
for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And this fruit, this fruit of your salvation, he's speaking about Galatians 5.22, that fruit of the Holy Spirit, his spirit meshed with our spirit that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah. We, and believe it or not, we actually were given all this fruit. As soon as we come to the Lord, we are given all this fruit. It's given to us. It's put into us because he gives us all things right from the get-go. The kingdom is not like working for a company where you, where you get seniority and as you've been there longer and longer, you get more stuff given to you and more responsibility. No, the kingdom, you get it all at once. We're given all this fruit right, right now. As soon as you come, you get the fruit. We have it all. But the thing is, we have to mature in this fruit. And how many of you have cherry trees in your backyards or your front yards? I've got a huge tree in my yard. And you know, if I picked, if I picked some fruit over spring break, all I would get was flowers. It looks beautiful, but there's nothing there. There's no substance. A month later, if I brought you some fruit, it'd be these little green things, and you, you wouldn't really thank me for them because if you tasted them, you'd spit them right out. They're bitter. But guess what? It's still fruit. It's just not mature. So in all of this, as we're walking out, as our fruit matures in us by the Holy Spirit, we actually become sweet. We become pleasing. We become the people of God that he's called us to be. And so even, even amongst our, our believer friends and our family, yeah, they, their fruit is there. It may not be mature yet. It may not taste so good at times, but it's still fruit. It's coming. It's coming, and that's where that patience comes, that tenderness, that goodness, just that peace of knowing that their fruit is maturing, just as our fruit has matured and is in the process of maturing. I love this, I love this book because a little bit back, a month back, we were doing a Bible study in the book of Acts. And what's so amazing to me is in Acts chapter 16, Paul goes to the city of Philippi. It's their first encounter with Paul, their first encounter with the people of, of God. And he, in, as he gets into chapter 16, first off, it starts with a vision. Paul has this vision of a man in Macedonia begging him, please come, please come and help us. So the next morning he gets up, he says to his crew that he's with, he says, come on guys, got a word, we're going. So away they go to Philippi. And they get there, and they're there for a few days, and then on the Sabbath, they go out to the river, because in that day, in that culture, going out to the river would be a place of prayer. So they go out to find out who are anybody who knows God, the people of God, the people who would know, who had converted to Judaism, or they would go out to the river to pray. So he goes out to look for those people, and he, he gets out there, and he, he runs into a lady named Lydia, and he speaks to her. And she's there with some other believers, who are converts to Judaism, and they hear the word, and they give their life to Jesus. And right there, they're baptized. Her whole household come to faith and are baptized. And she invites Paul and his crew to go and stay with her. So they stay with Lydia, and they're in the city, and obviously Paul's out preaching, talking about Jesus. He's, he's given the word of the Lord 
Oh, look, we got a friend here. Hello. Look at that. Come on. Even the Holy Spirit calls in the dogs. Come on. Hey, that's awesome. So he's there and he's, he's being followed. After a few days, he's being followed by the slave girl. And she goes before them. She's declaring, listen to these men. This is the way you are saved. Listen to them. They, are, they represent the God, the God of truth. And it's, it's interesting because we're in this city. And here this, this girl did a little bit of research. And she's actually, an, historians say she was an oracle of Python, which was the God of Apollos. So she's a, she's a virgin. And she has this spirit on her that can predict the future. And we learn in the scriptures there, oh, he's back. He's so cute. <laughs> Dogs are awesome. So loyal. So this girl, this, this slave girl who's this, she's really a prophet of the wrong spirit, but she's still a prophet and she, she predicts the future for people. And we find out that her owners make lots of money from her. So she's like a revenue stream for, this, for these guys. And Paul, after a few days, he gets a little sick and tired of this stuff. Anybody been sick and tired? I know I've been sick and tired. And we think, Paul, man, he's this awesome, holy dude. But guess what? He runs out of patience. So if Paul can run out of patience, so can we, right? So he says, get out of her, you unclean spirit. And the spirit leaves. And now she's no longer an oracle of Python. Now she is just a slave girl. And that makes me wonder, whatever happened to her? Did she come to faith? What did her owners do with her? What happened to her? Because she lost her ability to prophesy and be a, a diviner of the future. And then obviously her value for her owners would have greatly diminished. And, and because of this, you think about it in, in a, just a town the size of Powell River. Could have been, this could have been Philippi. Maybe it was about this size. Maybe Philippi was a little bit bigger. If there was one person in this town who could predict the future, I bet you there'd be a lot of people beaten uh, beaten to her door. Can you give me next week's 649 numbers? What about Lotto Max? You know, what, what's, who am I going to marry? So you can imagine in the city that size, a lot of wealthy people would be paying a lot of money to find out the future because it would give them more. And the whole community would have been impacted by the loss of this girl being able to, to tell the future. And so what happens? Paul and Silas, they're stripped, beaten with rods, thrown in jail, because everybody's just miffed, no doubt. And they're sitting in jail. And what do they do? What do they do? They do what every normal Christian would do. They sit in jail, it's in the middle of the night, their feet are locked in stocks, they've been beaten, and they're praying and singing. I mean, come on, go figure. I don't know if I would have it in me to... I had a tough time praying and singing last night when it was 30 degrees outside at 10.30. I wasn't beaten for rods and my feet weren't in stocks, you know? I was sure thankful for my basement, I can tell you that. <laughs> But here, this is what's going on. They're, they're praying and they're singing to God. Everybody in the jail is obviously listening to them. And an earthquake hits the jail, rocks the foundation. 
doors fling open, all the chains fall off. I don't know if any earthquake would do that, but a godly one does. When he rocks our lives, things fall off of us. And what happens? The jailer comes in, and he asks a really interesting question. I mean, he comes in, he's going to throw himself on a sword because in that day, in that culture, the men that were in his control, the prisoners, it, the Roman culture was life for life. So if he lost one of them, it was his life for theirs because he was their responsibility. And he's going to throw himself on a sword. And Paul says, hey, we're all here. Don't worry about it. We're all here. You haven't lost anybody. And he comes in and he's full of fear and he throws himself at the feet of Paul and says, how can I be saved? You know, and you think, that is such a strange question for somebody to ask. Unless he had a lot of backstory already. He's already heard a lot from Paul. He's heard what's been going on in the city. And he knows more than we, we give him credit. I love motorcycles too. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he asks, how can I be saved? And Paul gives him the word of the Lord. And his family is saved. They're all baptized. And he, this jailer takes him home and feeds him and Silas. And they have a feast. And it's awesome. And the next morning, the magistrates come. They send some officers down to the jail and say, let those guys go. And Paul says, nah, I'm not going anywhere till you clowns come down and show me that you made a mistake because we are citizens. And the magistrates are scared because they didn't realize they were Roman citizens. And that's a word of testimony for us too. We're citizens of heaven. We have rights and privileges that lead right into eternity that we've already won. We've already overcome because God's already declared that over us. And just like the magistrates were in fear because they were wrong, the enemy is also fearful of us because he knows that we've already overcome him. He doesn't like to admit it, but when we confront him, he's like, wow, he has to step away because every knee bows to Jesus. So it's such an amazing story of how this city in Acts 16 comes to know the Lord. And this book uh, of Philippians, I don't know how many years it was written after Paul was there. Historians say the book of Philippians was written about 62 AD, so about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So somewhere between zero and 30 years, Paul went through there. Uh, we know Paul in his travels, so maybe it was 15, 20 years. So this, this letter might be somewhere between one and 10 years after Paul first visited Philippi. And what does he do? What does he address? How does he address the church? I'm writing to all of God's holy people. They've been believers from one to 10 years, and they're all God's holy people. Not some of you are still in the mailroom and some of you are CEOs. He says, all of God's holy people. And Philippi, being a Roman colony and a business center, we know there's divination because of the girl. We know there's pagan and idol worship. And we think, man, must have been a messy place to go. And in God's eyes, what a perfect place for a church plant, huh? It's like, come on. What a perfect place. And he's already prepared the way by the way people respond. 
You figure a city that's just steeped in sin, steeped in idolatry, steeped in, in all these things that are not of God, and yet he chose that city. And it's like the shirt. Their sins were just, the shirt used to be white, and it's no longer white, and you can't make it white without destroying it because the dye's been set. And that's what sin does to us as a people. This city was just like this shirt, dyed crimson. There's crimson, you know, like there's some green here too. Maybe that's uh, maybe an eco-sin, maybe paint, dumping some paint out in your backyard or something like that, you know, or blue is dumping garbage in the, in the waters or whatever, but it's all sin. It's all sin in God's eyes. And you think, man, how can we deal with this? And we can't, but God can. And the book of Isaiah gives us an interesting interesting glimpse into how he does this. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, he says, come now, let's settle this. Other translation says, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. He can transform that which has been died, that falls short, that's just stained beyond unbelief. He can make it white again. That's how he reasons with us. That's, that's God kind of thinking. How do you change a sin? We have to alter the past. But we can't do that. Our lives aren't like uh, hit and rewind on uh, Netflix to back up on a movie so we can change a decision. We can't back up the bus because we forgot a kid behind us. We can't do that in our lives. It's not like golf where we can declare a mulligan. You know, when you're at the tee box and you shank one off. And you think, oh, I'm going to declare a mulligan and there's no penalty. Our lives aren't like that. How does God do this? And it's, it's amazing. God showed us through Jesus some of the ways we can do. He does this for us because we can't do it on our own. In the book of John, chapter 2, you'll know the story. Jesus is at a wedding and they run out of wine. And it's, it's, such, a, it's such an amazing story because what happens Jesus' mom steps in, and she, she says to the servants, just do what he says. And, and Jesus like, woman, this isn't my time. And I could just imagine, you know, she's speaking to the servants, just do what he says, but she's looking at him with that steely eye of a, of a mother, right? She might be holding a shoe or a wooden spoon, maybe. This is my, my mind interpreting what's, what's being said in Scripture, but... You know, you figure a, a, a Jewish mom or even an Italian Sicilian mother, like, do it or you're, you know, I brought you into this world, but I can take you out kind of attitude. And she's speaking to her son. And, you know, and he says, okay, so what does he do? He changes the water into wine. Well, we can't turn water into wine. We can't even turn grape juice into wine until it's aged. It has to have a history. We have to give it a history. And I make wine, and it, you know, it takes a month, two months to make new wine, at least. And sometimes it takes more than a year for it to even taste good. But the wine of the miracle that Jesus did in Capernaum at the wedding, he took water that had no past, and he gave it a past. He gave it a history and turned it into wine that was even better than that was served. And God the Father created a past where there was none. So if he can create a past, he can remove a past. And that's what he does for us. God doesn't pretend the shirt isn't dyed. 
He undies it. He takes away the sin. He takes away all of it and makes it white again. And the act of redemption through Jesus and his blood causes it to be removed from our lives. And all we do is accept that gift of forgiveness. And then our shirt is clean. It is white. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it puts it like this, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And in salvation, the Philippians, those in Philippi, just like us in Powell River, the guilty became innocent, the tainted became pure, the rejected became beloved children, the red became white. And as we become newborn babies in Christ, as people come, and think about the babies, the little kids we have running around here this morning and the babies that are coming. What do we love about them? They're innocent, they're pure. They have no history. They have no history. When they, people come to Christ, their history is gone. It doesn't matter what they were. It's what they're becoming now. What do we, else do we know about babies? They're messy. Huh? They're demanding. <laughs> they can be a little annoying. They need to be fed. They need to be fed the truth of God's word. And all of us, as we mature into our new creation realities... We come to know God the Father, and we, we become, that fruit matures in us. We become sweet. But it takes time as we build this new history in him. And how does Paul do this? How does he encourage the Philippians? He points to the heavenly calling in Christ. He points to the heavenly life. He points to revealing what the real heart of God is. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, he says it like this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is how he works in us. Christ's attitude is to become our attitude. One mind with him. Wholeheartedly united with him. Loving one another. Being unselfish. Caring for others that are in our community and in our relationships and being humble, which is really just thinking of ourselves less. It's not thinking less of ourselves. That's false humility. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. And it's, it's like we spoke of a few weeks ago, 1 John 4, 17, in this world you are like Jesus. That's what John says in chapter four. In this world we are like Jesus. We are becoming like him as we build our history in him. History his story becoming reality in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says it like this, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ Jesus, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace, which is his empowering presence and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. 
He's called us to heavenly places. We're called to go from being caterpillars into being butterflies. And you know, if you think about it, the mindset of a caterpillar compared to the mindset of a butterfly are radically different. Radically different. A butterfly's thinking from above, and that's who we've been called to be. Not looking at the ground up thinking, you'll never get me to do that. No, we're called to be up here, bringing heaven to earth. And the Father promises to complete his work in us. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And how does he do that? It's, it's really about partnership. He co-labors with us. We co-labor with him. But it's about agreement with what he says about us. It's about feeding on the living word. Feeding on this. Reading this. It's about prayer. It's about just fellowship with the Father, hanging out with Him, talking with Him, just living life with Him. Time with the Father changes our nature. We become what we behold. We become what we look at. And just like it takes intimacy to have a baby, to have children, it takes intimacy to know the Father as well. Because really, this book is nothing except for the words that are on the page. And really, our lives are the white pages that his scripture, his living word starts to be written on us. And that's what transforms us. As we spend time in his word and hang out with him, he transforms us from the inside out. Second Corinthians chapter three says it like this. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. That's what it's like for us here in Powell River. Everybody reads us. Everybody reads us. Our friends, our family, the people at the grocery store, everybody reads us. They may not even know that we're believers, but they read us. And you can tell by the way people interact with you. You can tell. You have people that just spontaneously start telling you their life story and that sort of stuff. They're reading you and they're reading Holy Spirit in you. And you create a safe space around you, this atmosphere that I'm safe. I can talk here. That's what you do. That's what you do to the city by getting out and interacting. So as we mature, as more of his word is written on the white pages of us, our lives, we move from being self-conscious to being God-conscious. We're conscious of where he's moving and what he's doing. We become more like Jesus because in this world, we are like Jesus. And, And it works towards us. It works towards transforming our community, transforming all those around us. And it's just, it's just an amazing thing. And how do we do this? Paul does this through joy, joy in all situations. He's in prison and he's worshiping the Lord and singing. How awesome is that? Because the thing is, is we need to understand something. Our destination is certain. We know where we're going, but our journey's not. We have no idea what our journey is going to look like, but we know where we're going and we need to Take that to heart. Like, we joyfully know where we're going, so the journey, it doesn't really matter. We know where we're going, and we know that we're going to get there. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. And this is following just after he's talked about he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's born on the eighth day, circumcised on the eighth day. And he's a Pharisee, and as, when it comes to the law, he's righteous. 
and he's perfect in the law. But he says, before this, he says, it's all garbage compared to knowing Christ. And he says, I haven't attained all these things, but I press on towards the perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I've not achieved it. I'm not mature yet, but I'm getting there. My fruit is ripening. Forgetting the past, forgetting what's behind me, forgetting what happened before I became a believer and moving forward, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. We press forward. The spiritually mature press forward. First in book of James chapter one, he says, when troubles come, in any kind of way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to mature. So let it grow. Let it mature. For when you, your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect mature. You will be perfect and complete, leading nothing. The maturity is not seniority. It's growing in Jesus. And always be full of the Lord Full of joy in the Lord is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about all the things you need. But pray. Lift them up to him. He knows what you need. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. Isn't that interesting? He says, tell him what you need. Tell him about everything. But also thank him for what he's done. And then you will experience peace. And it exceeds all our understanding because his peace will guard our hearts and minds because we're in Jesus. And it, it, it gives me an insight into what prayer is about. And it's, it's interesting here because he says it's not to worry. So worry is actually praying to the wrong God. Worry is praying to the, to the God of this world, not to Jesus. But if we do pray... Our prayers should transform us. If we go into the prayer closet or we're just praying on the way to work in our car or wherever we're praying, if we don't come out of prayer transformed, we actually haven't been praying. We've actually just been complaining. And it's just an, an interesting thing for me I've had to watch is, am I complaining or actually am I praying? Am I in his presence and am I being transformed? Because if I'm not being transformed by my prayers, there's something going on in my heart that needs to be corrected. And he does that. He brings that joy. He brings that peace. So no matter what's going on, we know what's going on because our destination is certain, but our journey is not. And finally, we, we need to renew our minds because going from a caterpillar to a butterfly takes different kind of thinking. We can't think the old way. We have to think in the way of the spirit, in the way of the kingdom. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 he says this, Paul says this, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, God, then the God of peace will be with you. Think about those things. Renewing our mind is thinking about things that Jesus thinks about. What is excellent? What is praiseworthy? What is true, honorable, lovely, admirable? 
It's not thinking about what we don't have. It's not thinking about what was done to me. What was Paul doing in prison? He was praising God and singing and worshiping. Praiseworthy, true, honorable, lovely. These are the things that start to renew our mind. We think about these things. We think about the things God thinks about. We think about the things that Jesus thinks about. We think about the things that the Holy Spirit puts on our hearts. And we don't look back. We can't declare a mulligan, I'm going to start over. No way. We're moving forward. Moving forward, just like Paul did. What did he do before he, he became a believer? He was a murderer. He put believers in jail and in prison. It was unbelievable what he did. But he says, I press forward. I'm not looking back. I see the prize now, and now I'm going forward. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus is speaking. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what else will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. In that, think about those things that are praiseworthy, excellent, true, honorable, lovely, the beautiful things. Because the kingdom is found in Jesus and all things are under him. And we only get to the Father through Jesus. He is the firstborn of the new creation and now we're part of that. And we're citizens of heaven. We are butterflies. We're above it all. We're called to mature and reflect the living word of Jesus in our lives. And to do that with all people. Because really there's only two, two types of people. Believers and pre-believers. Christians and pre-Christians. That's the only two types of people we have. And how will they know what it really is unless we reflect that and show that to them? So let's stand. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you and we praise you for your living word. We thank you for your living word this morning. And Father, if there's any of us who, who haven't given our lives to you, Lord, we just say in, right now, we can, we can speak it out loud in our home, in our car, in our living room, in church, walking on the street, living, listening to podcasts. Say, Father, I come to you. Jesus, I come to you. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I invite you in. I invite you into my heart. Transform me from the inside out. Lead me. Lead me to become mature in you so that I may produce awesome fruit in your name. And for the rest of us, it's about growing and maturing. Let's use this heat as it's ripening the cherries on the cherry tree in my backyard. Let it ripen the fruit in us. As trials come our way, whatever it looks like, it is about causing us to well up and know with certainty where we're going and to respond with joy. So Father, I just release joy on this house, on every person who's listening to this word, no matter whether it's right now or, or years from now, months from now, days from now, we release your living word, your joy, your peace, your love upon and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we take this out into our community, into our homes and into our neighborhoods, that we would become living written words, that your word would be written on our hearts, that you, 
your scripture, your word would be written on our white pages of our lives for all to read around us. So we just thank you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you for coming this morning. And may the, may the Lord bless you.